0: Good morning. Thank you again for having me join you. Um, if you have your copy of the Bible, can you turn to the the letter to the Colossian church, chapter four. Colossians chapter four. <clears throat> Before I read and go into it, we live in a, in a day and age of instant gratification. The, the, the slogan that you, I've never heard of it, but I've heard people say it, is your way right away. And that is seeped into not only fast food restaurants, but most of our thinking. Whether it's advancing technology, you know, a click away mentality. You know, you get upset when you, when you download a Kindle book and you just can't open it yet. It's the spirit of the age. And instant gratification doesn't only affect you, it affects the church. Now, the gospel is eternally serious business inextricably tied to the glory of God and humanity. And given the stakes, there has been a good and right recovery of the urgent task to see the gospel sent to the hardest places and the least reached people group. I mean, we have had people, even from your congregation, go to Alaska, to the inner city. People ministering in Guatemala. I went to a trip not so long ago to Washington, D.C. And you don't want to know the percentage of people that believe in the gospel there. Also on our community's doorsteps, we have people that don't believe in the gospel. And yet, if we're not careful, I fear we will wrongly identify urgency with speed failing to remember that a task can be urgent and yet demand a slow, methodical approach that thinks in years and decades instead of days and months. I hope you don't think that the ministry that these folks that went to Alaska is going to rebenefit straight away. I encourage you to pray for them. I encourage you to pray for those ministering in Guatemala and those of you that know people that are ministering around the world do not think of their success in how quickly they accomplish things. Simply put, the church desperately needs to recover categories for being both urgent and patient in missions. Spreading the gospel is urgent, but it demands men and women with the patience to commit to God's means and accomplish His order and His end. You see, while God can use servants to speed the gospel forward, far more often the gospel seems to root slowly and start small. And those who have been taught not to despise the day of small beginnings, we should be careful that our approach to missions is more concerned with being faithful than fast. So how do we, you and I, how do we become effective, committed missionaries? Because that is what we've been called to. The disciples were called to it in the Great Commission, and we as well have been called to that Great Commission. How do we see the importance in mission, in being missional, in living a life committed to that. You and I have most certainly been in contact this week with people who have felt uh, hopelessness in some small way, regret. You've met the person that has mocked your belief in the gospel, that thinks that this right here, what you have sung about, that you have a vision for is nonsense. You've met the atheist. You're friends with him. You're friends with her. You've met the intellect. Those that you speak with that reason that all of this isn't necessarily the truth. Then you've met the ignorant. These are people that need Jesus. That is what a missional life is about. These are the people that I, that we, have been called to reach out to. It is not just meant for a dedicated time in the summer where a group of, of faithful believers go out and minister. Yes, that's good. It's a great committed time and blessing where friends can go into that specific time. But folks, our lives now are here tomorrow when you go to work, is, an, is as important. They are our mission field. So how do we become effective missionaries? You see, God instructs us through the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 2 through 6. Let me read. Verse 2, continue persistently in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, to, how you ought to answer each person. God instructs us here how Christians ought to pray, ought to live, and ought to talk. So firstly, he teaches us through the Apostle Paul how we ought to pray. In verse 2 we read, Our prayer should be steadfast and watchful. And God wants us to understand that our fellowship with him through prayer is the key, is the key to living an effective life. It is probably stated, more often than not, that prayer is the one thing that most Christians struggle with, to be consistent at. You see, effective evangelism, effective missions, effective visions for the church are found and built on prayer. Not just any prayer, diligent, watchful prayer. God wants us to talk to him before we go out into the world. Do we diligently pray before we go out? Do we diligently Sit down, jot down on a piece of paper what we're going to do that day, what we're going to do that week, what we're going to do that month, and do we commit those things to prayer? And I don't mean as a church, I mean individually. You see, then Paul transitions from this teaching on prayer to asking for prayer. Specifically, he asks the Colossian church to pray also, he says, for us. That God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Where is Paul? He's in prison. He doesn't ask that he be released, he asks for an opportunity to share the good news. Paul basically says, I might be in jail, but the word can never be imprisoned. Christ must be preached even in jail. So please pray that as I reach out to these people in this jail, the door of their hearts would be opened. Do you see what vision for God's kingdom and mission can do? It penetrates every area of your life, every opportunity that comes available. Every so called frustrating moment that you think, why did this happen to me? Right here, right now. You see, for Paul, it takes jail time and it turns it into opportunity. Paul loved being a part of the kingdom because he loved the king. And he was so radically changed by Jesus that he was more concerned about the life and eternal destiny of the jailer holding the key to his shackles, than getting out of jail. Paul believed that he was sent, specifically at that time, for that person. In the providence of God, Rome didn't put him in jail. It was the plan of God. Why? Because God wanted his kingdom to be revealed in a Roman prison. To Paul, this was an opportunity. So what can we learn? Effective missional work begins with appealing to the king for opportunities to tell people about his kingdom and the gospel that makes a relationship with him possible. And you've heard it here before. You've heard the people that lead the worship. You've heard through preaching of Uh, The gospel here. You've heard it in your small groups. You've heard every opportunity of how it is to share the gospel, how it is to share the gospel to little toddlers, to teenagers, to adults. You've heard it. You've heard it many times. You have literature out there. And folks, those are resources and opportunities of how you can share. We must model and teach our people that effective mission work begins with faithful prayers and petitions for opportunities. Every day that we wake up and go to work, go on the road, meet new people, is an opportunity to share the gospel. So encourage your friends, encourage your family to pray for opportunities in their lives. There's a warning. My warning to you. Enter at own risk. Pray at own risk. If you pray for opportunities, they will happen. And often they will happen at the most awkward, inconvenient moments. Remember, Paul received his opportunity in jail. So know that often it may be the very circumstances that are inconvenient and interruptions to our normal lives that are the opportunities that God is giving us to share the gospel. Be watchful. Understand your life and things that happen in the midst of it doesn't happen for no reason. So teach and model such prayer here among the congregation, to your kids, to your family, to your friends. Start in private and let your public prayers be an overflow of that private passion for mission. And don't get me wrong, I'm not just talking about missions for those times that you go out dedicated. I'm talking about every portion of a Christian life where you are called to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. These public shared stories of prayers that have been answered, folks, they will encourage and inspire those around you. Don't keep them to yourselves. I encourage you those times when you pray, and God mightily answers your prayers. Share with your brothers and sisters. Share stories of your failure and stories of God's powerful work. And as you share, the faith of others will be inspired. They will step out in their mission to reach the world for Christ. So that is Paul teaching us how to pray. But further along in verse 5, he teaches us how to live. He says... Conduct yourselves wisely toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. There's a there's an assumption in this in this passage people make that you and I live among people who don't know Jesus, outsiders. But what Paul is implicitly telling us to do? What is he What is he telling us to do? He's telling us to be where non Christians are. Be where non Christians are. Go to where those on the outside of the family of God are. Be missionaries to them. Live where they live. Be friends with them. That's the story of this church, isn't it? It's why this church was planted right here. A need. Friendships began. Gospel was preached. People were saved. Church plant grew. You're sitting here. You're a testimony of what could be in other places, not just here in America, but around the world. More explicitly, Paul tells us to live wisely toward outsiders, so as to make good use of the time. That means living a distinctly different life. Now, I'm thinking in, in Colossians, specifically chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. As we live our lives in relationship with people who do not know Jesus, The world should get a glimpse of Jesus, should get a glimpse of his character from the way we live. We should be, as Paul writes, ambassadors of Christ. We should be lights that shine. when a person who doesn't know Jesus is a friend of yours, scratches the surface of your life and witnesses your actions, witnesses your motives, witnesses your decisions, as well as how you handle your money, how you handle your time, how you handle your energy, your pleasure, and most importantly for this, your sin. that that person should be struck by how glorious Jesus is and how amazing His salvation is. You see, a transformed life through the gospel is one of the most strategic and effective tools for missions. The fruit of the Spirit in your life, at work in your heart, will provoke the outsider. It'll have him asking questions. It'll have her asking questions. A joyful Christian walking through a testing time, a time of trial, will provoke people who are watching. Why are you, who are laying, dying in a hospital bed, why are you so joyful? How is it that you have all this hope when all I see for you as the non-Christian nurse, I see hopelessness, I see heartache. How is it that you see joy? How is it that you see love? You see, if an unbeliever gets to know you, opens the package, as it were, and finds love, finds joy and humility, it will open up a whole new world for them. This outweighs the whole concept of becoming so worldly relevant. You have to to dress like the world. You have to smell like the world. You have to do what the world does, folks. As you talk to them about the grace of Jesus Christ as shown on the cross and how his grace changed you. And as you talk to them about what you were, how you were angry, how you had and have pride and how those things manifested themselves in your life. And as they get to know the real you changed by Jesus, grace will become amazing to them. Amazing grace. That hymn will no longer just be a song sung at a funeral for them. They will understand what it meant because they can see it. We ought to know that missionaries live distinct lives in a specific culture. But thirdly, Paul goes on in verse 6 to teach the church, teach Christians how to to talk. He says in verse 6, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How are you able to be an effective missionary? Well, simply put, you have a conversation with unbelievers. Share your life with them. And in time, share the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his death, of his resurrection, of his ascension, of his story. And make sure when you share, you speak as though you're speaking to somebody that doesn't understand every single word that you're saying. What do you mean when you say worship? What do you mean when you say grace? What do you mean when you say the love of God? What do you mean when you say Lord? We Christians need to learn how to communicate. And sometimes what works in our church doesn't necessarily translate out there. You can't use the words that you're comfortable with using here. And when that happens, we can just look at our non-Christian friends and say, I'm sorry, here's what I mean. And that means you and I, we need to be sure of what we hear and understand and believe so that we can translate that and speak to our non-believing friends, our, our non-believing brothers and sisters and friends and family, and all those people in a way that they can understand. But that doesn't mean that we have to accept the culture's language. There are certain elements that need to be rejected outright. Someone once told me, that for the sake of it, for the for the sake of getting in, for the sake of getting in with the crowd that he wanted to minister to, he was going to, he was going to cuss around them so that he could he could make he can make them feel less, less uncomfortable. Now I'm grateful for this man's zeal, for wanting to spread the the, the gospel. But folks, Ephesians four says, <laughs> let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. All right. Our lives, our words, must be distinct from the culture around us. Every time you speak to an unbeliever, concentrate on how you say things. Concentrate on your attitude and your motive. Let the words you speak be marked by a humble, not arrogant heart. Remember, our motive needs to match the gospel message. Paul also goes on to say that your conversation needs to be seasoned with salt. And that translated is to be seasoned with wit and life. I've seen it. The gospel spread in a very unenthusiastic, non life changing way. Very unattractive. And they don't understand. You are dead. You're alive. Because of his grace. Translated. When you sing, it should come from your heart. Everyone should hear it. Let your conversations with unbelievers be witty and full of life. Let your joy come so that they can see it. Why? Why must it be like that? Because most of the time, God intends for us to be seed sowers rather than reapers. Don't think for one second that you are ultimately going to reap gospel rewards right there and then. God wants every encounter with one of his children to be a moment when that unbeliever experiences grace, where he experiences love, where he experiences joy. So let's do our... our our church, our, our Christian neighbor, a favor, folks. Evaluate your heart, your motives when you spread the gospel, when you befriend someone who's an unbeliever, that you do not ruin the opportunity that the next person has to speak to them. I had a friend... And he tells the story of a lady who he had met, an unbeliever, and this friend of mine, he uh, they were going to go minister to a group of people that would regularly meet at a Starbucks, and this lady in particular, became very interested in what they were doing, not interested in, in the gospel or anything like that, just interested in what they were doing. She didn't know Jesus. Her name is Colleen, and, and she loved to be a part of the campus that my friend was part of. He was part of a campus ministry. And my friend would invite Colleen to come and sit a part of their meetings just to see and see if she understood what what they were getting themselves into. And he would say, Colleen, come on over and tell us what we Christians are not getting right. We need your input. And she loved it. She loved the people. She loved hanging out. And my friend said she got involved, and they got involved in, in her life. And it was a genuine friendship. But eventually she moved away. And they, and they didn't see her again. And my friend said it broke him. Because they, 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 they could see something something was starting to happen. But they just couldn't see it. Three years later... My friend says he was greeting people at the door of his church. And he saw Colleen walk in. Previously, she would never have set foot in a church. But there she was walking towards him with a huge smile and tears in her eyes. She was eight months pregnant, unmarried. And she said, I've heard that it takes a person 85 times to hear the gospel before they are saved. I don't know where she heard that. But she said, well, it took me 86 times. And she said to my friend, thank you for telling me about Jesus. My pastor friend said that he didn't lead calling to the Lord, but he was part of it. One more person transformed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Folks, that is amazing grace. Whether your church is here in Cleveland, in the state of Tennessee, in America, or in the world, your, you and your church has strategically been placed here. He has radically converted you and called you to be missionaries. Why? Because he wants his kingdom to be revealed. He wants the lost saved. And this church gets to play a part in that. What a mission. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit a week, our lives to you. May our lives... be filled with salt, full of light. May you bless our endeavors. May you help us in the way we should go. And may your gospel strike straight, even though it is in crooked instruments such as us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.